Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on WORTFM.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard. Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I am live on the air with my homegirl, with a very popular local artist and author, Sarah Alvarado. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. Super happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to get to have this conversation and get to talk to you about your book. This is my second time talking about this book. The first time was kind of right as people were first reading this. And we talked a, a lot about kind of the, the interracial relationship dynamic within the book and the love story of this book. But today we get to have kind of an expansive conversation about the book in its entirety and what it has looked for you to have people just all up in your business, just reading about your life. Um, how are you doing today? Like, how does how does it feel to have this this book come to life and to have people want to be in conversation with you about it? It's been exciting and terrifying, depending on the moment and sometimes at the same time. So yeah, I'm I'm riding I'm riding it. I'm really here for the experience. So I'm trying to live into that. I feel like. In my immediate circle, there is so much love for you. There's so much love for this book. People are so excited for you and so proud of you um, and have so much respect for what you did in writing about yourself and reflecting about yourself in moments that are not your most flattering moments. You know, you really are like you put it you put it all out there. You slapped on the bikini and <laughs> and, and let it all hang out. Um how has that been? Are there are there moments where you have second guessed what you included? Um, have there been moments where you realize like your privacy has changed a little bit? Like, what is that like? It's interesting because people don't go into the specifics, right? So they experience it with themselves in the book, but it's not like they call to unpack like the details. It's more. It's been more of a. I related to this. I really resonated with this. Thank you for sharing this. It, so, And that's all broad strokes. So I have not felt any sort of, oh my gosh, that's a lot. Because I wrote it a long time ago. It's not like I'm reading it every day. Like I'm not in it, right? Yeah. It's my story and I'm not ashamed of it. And that was one of the big parts of telling it is to strip away any shame and confront it and then also put it out there so that people can also have that same experience like why why would I be ashamed of this you are such a baddie like <laughs> get it so you you tell these really vulnerable stories and in some ways this this book reads like a coming of age story you're really young um you're in Mexico you're trying to like figure yourself out you're kind of a little slop kebab um at the beginning of this book <laughs> that's a cute way of saying it <laughs> yeah, but but you you have so much compassion towards your younger self we we talked a little bit before we jumped on air about how you talk about you know, being sexually assaulted in this book um, and what it feels like as an older person to look back at situations you were in as a younger person or to want to stand up for your younger self. Why was it important to you to include that story? Um, and, you know, you, you talked a little bit about your, how, your, how your mom showed up for you in that moment and what that looked like. Yeah, I definitely had feedback when I was writing the book from different beta readers that there was too many themes in the book. There's a significant a number of themes. And I could have taken out some of them and probably been able to tell an, a, a pretty decent story, except that they all make it what it was. I couldn't. I, I, I just couldn't. And that was my reaction when it was recommended. It's like somebody saying there's too much life in your life, Sarah. <laughs> Calm it you don't down. Don't want to confuse people with all of the things. <laughs> but the spirituality mixed with how I handled the sexual assault and the rape and how I was navigating my own drug use and alcoholism, it all played into it. And I couldn't eliminate one. And telling about the sexual assault and the rape was hard because it, it's not like the main piece, because it's not like I actually spent 
the rest of the time in Mexico unpacking and dealing with that, once I got pregnant, it really didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And then I felt all of the feelings around that too. Like, I, how do you how do you then weave it in? Because it is there. It's always there. Mm-hmm. Just because I was super preoccupied and distracted by being pregnant in a well, different country. Being pregnant and being in love and being happy. Mm-hmm. And there was probably a part of you that was like, I don't want to bring my sexual assault with me everywhere. Yes. I want to be over it. Right. And coping mechanisms help us in lots of different ways. And the Brock Turner case, however many years later, rocked me because it's it's in us. Like it's our stories are our stories. And how do we create space for that? And then also I think respect how our own journey will allow for us to heal in its own time, right? Like I could have shamed myself for not reporting him. Um there's a there's a lot of pieces that as you were talking about how do our older selves support and really be there for our younger selves. I had to do a lot of work around that too. Did you feel like in in kind of exposing yourself in this way and and you know holding up this very full picture of who you are and the things you've been for been through and both the the things that have happened to you that are really harsh and the kind of immense privilege that you've had in in navigating your life and the and the world around you did you feel like you had an idea of who your story was going to be important to who your audience was supposed to be yeah actually no and i got that question and i hated that question a lot during the writing process because, you know, a lot of times people think about the demographics. Is it for white women? Is it for sexual assault survivors? Is it for... Is it for adolescent girls? Like, mm-hmm. is it... Yeah. Right. And someone walked me through the concept of seekers, people who question, people who question the status quo or question deeper meanings of life. So those people don't have an age group. They don't have race and ethnicity as a definer to the extent that they are people who are here for living life on life's terms and the humanity of it, right? I know that's not really the marketing aspect that I'm supposed to have, but I can't. Like, I just, I I didn't want to put it into that box. I actually really like that descriptor is that your book is for the livers of, you know, the folks who are living life, the folks who Mm -hmm. are, you know ready for for this you know kind of big picture big bite um of 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 the world and are are going to kind of surrender to the highs and lows um because that's i think that's one of the things that's really interesting about this book is throughout the book there is always kind of even when you're in like these you know you're like on this bus and you don't know where you're staying and you're like half crying half like look at the sun though like <laughs> it's so you, pretty exactly <laughs> like you you are just like you you seem to find the the good in in your situation you seem to find the the resilience um i i said i said i called you a little bit of a princess in this book i was like you are you are a little bit of a princess and you were like but like a masculine princess and i was like yes (laughs) so you know i i i think in in getting to to read this book early on and getting to reread it in preparation for the two conversations we've had it's become more and more clear to me like who who you are and the way you approach life and the influence um that your mom had yeah. and and I called her kind of the moral you know she's kind of, she's kind of the keeper of the good she's really direct with you in certain moments she's really honest with you what was it like to write about your mom so my mom has Alzheimer's and so I've lost her significantly and yet she's still physically here um and she absolutely is uh, one of the most influential people in my lives. And I love her. And I feel like we've had many, many lives together. So writing about her and being able to share her stories and tell her wisdom is one of the greatest gifts, especially when people comment who don't know her and will talk about what impacted them from her wisdom. Oh, my gosh. It's like... It's like I get to share my mom with people who maybe didn't have the kind of mom I had. I feel like my mom is a unicorn to some extent. A lot of a lot of women have complicated relationships with their mothers. And um, 
And so it's not to like make people feel bad. I got a good mom. (laughs) (laughs) But more like we can all have her, you know, like we can all share her. And then, you know, we have a way that we can learn to mother ourselves. Like she taught me how to mother myself. Mm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. Happy Tuesday. Happy Pride. It's June, y'all. And it's like warm and rainy. Today we are talking with author of the new memoir that tells the story of a 24-year-old who bought a one-way ticket from the Midwest to Mexico. Sarah Alvarado was 24 years old and she is with me in the studio to talk about her recent released her recently released memoir Dreaming in Spanish. Sarah Alvarado is an author, speaker, teacher, co-conspirator. She works in real estate and racial justice. She is the author of a new memoir, Dreaming in Spanish, and she's here with us today. If you want to join this conversation, you have questions about this book. This book talks about so many things, right? You can talk about what it means to be bilingual. You can talk about your relationship to your mom. You can talk about interracial love. You can talk about birth. Like there is, this is a jam-packed book. And if you want to learn more about it, ask more about it, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. Huge shout out to our team today, our engineer, Ashley. You're the absolute best. Jade, Jade, our producer, who we love, and Shelly Pittman, the news director for WORT. This show does not happen without those three amazing people people. Sarah, when you sat down to write this book, um, which is I'm like, I like, I'm, I'm like, were you dancing while you were writing this? Like how, <laughs> how, what, what is your process? What does it look like for you? Did you outline first? Was it like notes on your own life? Or did you just start to kind of go, these are the stories that I'm compiling, because they're the stories that make me who I am. Mm. Well, it starts way, way back and when I started journaling, really, because I think I was journaling to hold this, the stories, to, to keep them. Mm-hmm. And I journaled a lot until 2002. And then I stopped when the babies were little. Um, I didn't start journaling again until 2013. And in 2013 was when I felt like I had space to think about writing a book. And then it was like, what stories do I tell? What book, what book is in me? Well, God, it's interesting to think of this book as 10 years in the making. Yeah. I didn't start necessarily writing it, writing it then, Mm -hmm. but definitely yearning Mm -hmm. and hearing a call, not really wanting to listen because I was busy, you know, with kids and business stuff, but just wanting to write, to start writing. And when you start writing, that's when you start collecting the stories and thinking about like, what is, what wants to come out, what wants to be told. And I write to process my own stuff, right? So it wasn't necessarily a book idea. Um, for a couple of years, and then I started it, and then I shelved it because it seemed like it made more sense for me to write a business book. And I wasn't feeling it. Um, Worked on that maybe for a year or so, and I had an astrology reading, and during that astrology (laughs) reading, it became really clear that this was a story that I needed to tell now. Um, And if there are other books in me, they could come after this, but this one needed to come out first. And so it was in... um, October of 2020, I, I just put it all out in I set. My process mostly was how do I write a messy first draft and get it all out of me. So that's how I started it. And then I connected with tons of people, writers, and became friends with people and communities and connected locally with Madison Writer Studio. And there's a lot. There's a lot of people to support. I asked you right before we got started if you had a portion that you felt like you wanted to share with our audience so that folks could have a little bit of a taste of kind of what this story sounds like. Um, what are what are you gonna share with us? Oh, you picked okay. a little a little piece, and I'm yeah, it's like two and a half minutes maybe. So I will read from chapter twenty, and I'm trying to think if there's anything that I need to um, prep it with. Except I had been in. Mexico for a couple of a couple of months at this point and was still playing around with who I wanted to be. So it's chapter 20 and I was in Puerto Vallarta and it's February 2000. It was a deep penetrating irritation. I wanted to have contradicting lives and be contradicting people. There was the me I knew well, crazy Sarah, 
And there was the inner divine me who I knew I needed to change quickly. The problem was that I liked the spontaneous, wild, and free Sarah. She was mysterious and unpredictable. She went wherever she wanted to go, met new random people, and fell in and out of love. But that woman also yearned to do what everyone else was doing and daydreamed about marriage, children, and stability. The whole thing was a contradiction. How could I give up such a fun life, being such a fun person, only to step into a healthier, boring life and become a person I was completely unfamiliar with? I walked around contemplating this and incessantly discussed it with my new AA friends. I wanted to have it all. One night, I said screw it to being sober, and I met Donna and some friends at a hip new spot. Sitting next to Barbara at the end of the bar, I realized she had come alone, something I would do. Barbara was a good 30 years older and had the stories to prove it. After I told her a little bit about myself, she shared her wild stories of travel, adventures, and lovers. She talked about the different countries she had lived in, the wisdom she had gained, and the experiences that could fill books. Her dangly earrings got caught in her wavy hair as she laughed with her whole body. Her flowy purple dress was adorned with long crystal necklaces, and her fingers were dressed up in big clunky rings. She glittered, not with diamonds or gemstones, but with earthy, vibrant colors, silver jewelry, and mischievous, sparkling eyes. I loved her. She was who I wanted to be when I grew up. We partied until they closed up the bar. Too many shots and vodka tonics later, all the sparkle had dulled around me, and the flowy purple magic was replaced with the white ceramic toilet bowl. Again. That smell of toilet water. Only someone like me knew that smell. It's a faint smell of old water. It doesn't smell like urine, actually. It's a familiar, cold, ceramic smell. The toilet itself is pretty clean. I didn't associate that smell with having the flu, because most of the time, I was covered in a dried sweat from dancing all night, my hair tied behind my head, my shoes next to me. I'd reach around to find my purse, pulling it close, while resting my head on that toilet seat. I know the feeling of wanting to die, but knowing I won't, and not sure which is worse. The next morning, I could barely get out of bed, but I was determined to keep my teaching job, so I hid my wicked hangover behind my sunglasses and made my way to class. The sun hurt. A couple of steps ahead of me, on the other side of the street, I noticed a young Mexican mom in a cute athletic outfit pushing a stroller with a water bottle in the cup holder. She looked great in her stylish sunglasses and bright tennis shoes. I glanced at my reflection in the window. I too looked great in my sunglasses and cute teaching outfit, but I felt like hell. It hurt to be me that morning. She was walking fast, like me, but she walked to exercise her body. I was walking fast because I was late to work, again. The mom pushing the stroller must have been exhausted too, but for different reasons. My stomach ached watching her. She was ahead of me, on the sunny side of the street. I was walking in the shade, watching her in a way that would settle in my cells, and shift my life. In reality, it wasn't she who changed me. It was my idea of who she was. It was me seeing myself in her. She was who I wanted to be when I grew up. I looked at my reflection in the shop window again. I was in front of one of those expensive jewelry stores that looked out of place next to the cheap tourist t-shirt shops. My sunglasses and lipstick gave me a rock star vibe, but I could feel what the reflection hid. That person in the window wanted more for herself. It was that desire that gnawed at me. Was it possible? This was all I had known. This was the person I had learned to love, and I was still learning to love her. But I hated her, too. I hated her when she passed out on the floor in the bathroom, hanging onto the toilet seat. I picked up my pace, not wanting to be late for work. I felt a wave of irritation and wondered why the sun was so ridiculously bright and why people were smiling and wishing me a buenos dias when it wasn't even seven in the morning. I scowled at the smiling people and decided that the world was trying to annoy me on purpose, maybe for having too much fun the night before. Blaming the world was easier. Hmm. I think listening to you read that makes me realize how much admiration you have for other women. Um, and I, I think that's something I know about you as a person who experiences you as a friend and as a person who's watched the way you uplift and interact with people, um, but particularly women. Why Why did you, at that time, feel like those two women were so far apart? Was there ever a, a thought that you could be kind of the party mom, the travel mom, <laughs> the the wild, the wild mama? Like are those are those two 
archetypes do they have to be pitted well, against one another? That's binary thinking, right? Like yeah. I was I grew up in binary thinking. There's right, wrong, there's good, bad, and this was showing up in how I saw the world. Mm. Like I it, it's it's this is a good way of being and this is a bad way of being. So no, I didn't have a lot of experience. I didn't even have the the understanding of non-binary, right? Mm. When I was 24 in the year 2000. So I think that's a piece of it. My dad had also quit drinking and he was sober. So I did associate. And at that point, I wasn't able to not drink to the extent that I understood. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I, it was hard. I, I really couldn't see how you could be fun and have fun and live wildly without other, substance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know people. Maybe. Maybe that was it, too. Um, maybe I didn't have the models in my life that could show me that. Mm. I just think you do such a a good job of making both of those women seem amazing and radiant and, you know, grounded in their own lives. Um, And yet there's, you know, there's the your struggle with like, who am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to become the version of myself that I want to be? Um, and I like that you talk about like loving yourself for your spontaneity at that time period in your life and also hating the the consequences of drinking too much, the consequences of not necessarily taking care of yourself in the in the ways that you needed to be taken care of. What is what's what's the evolution of of that for you as as a person now? You know, you look back at that and you go, well, yeah, now I am. You know, this fun, this, crazy Zara. Yeah. And this grown woman <laughs> who has been exposed to like non-binary thinking, who has a different relationship with alcohol, has a different relationship with, you know, you became a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, how does how does that all resolve for you at this point? I mean, at this point, I, f- I feel incredibly grounded in who I am and clear about who I want to be and who I am continually wanting to be, but not in a way that makes it where I'm at not wonderful as is, right? So I think part of it, and I remember talking to you about this too, because um, one of the workshops that I do is get messy, get better. Mm -hmm. And this concept of getting better isn't because I'm not amazing right now. It's because my amazingness loves learning, loves growing. Like I'm, I love growing. So I'm going to be different. And we can argue about like, well, what is better, et cetera. Um, I appreciate that ability to be in that space. So the question that you asked was, how have I evolved within that? I I did struggle for many, many years. I felt like as a mom with young kids, I I didn't swear ever in front of my kids. I I was sober for 10 years. Um, Carlos and I were so focused on raising our children and building our business. And mm. we just worked all the time. I had, I didn't have the friends I have. I didn't have the spiritual, like I had created a spiritual practice and a beautiful spiritual connection in Mexico. And when we came to M- Madison, we just got swooped up in the United States busy. Uh, yeah. Grind sterile, culture. hundred percent. Oh, can you, can yeah. you talk a little bit, you know, can you tell the folks who are listening to WORT 89.9 FM, a public affair with Ali Maltro on Tuesday? We're, we're talking to Sarah Alvarado, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, how how you have kind of coped with telling stories that I think a lot of people would be afraid to tell because you don't want to relive those moments. Mm-hmm. You don't want to re- relive the moments where you're embarrassed that you did something that was like ignorant or privileged or um, centered whiteness. You don't want to relive the moments when you've been harmed. But you put all of that into this book. Um, what? How did you? How have you coped with that? How do you deal with that? Uh, it's understanding that we are where we are, right? It's not blaming myself, but seeing how the culture and how the systems of oppression are created or have been created to keep us from knowing, keep us from seeing. So until you know, you don't know. But then there is this concept of, all right, well, now that you can see it and you know it, then what are you going to do about it? I think the the interesting part for me was, especially in college, getting my degree in Spanish, it was all about learning about other cultures, 
never once did we talk about what does it mean to be white? What does whiteness mean? How are you showing up with what kind of cultural conditioning? So going to other countries is all about exploring what the other culture is. But if you're not available to see who you are and how you're interacting, <laughs> like massive blind spots, right? Yeah. So I had all of those and I wanted to share those in the story without taking people out of the story, which was tricky, like just from a writing conversation, like it was it was hard. And I think I did an OK job of it. Um, so the book isn't really about that, but it shows it. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't avoid it because I'm you know, I, and there are times where I'll I'll come to I'll use my today's voice, but not super often. Yeah, you do a really good job of pointing out, you know, when you, the parts that you're critical of 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 yourself or your behavior mm -hmm. or how you're showing up without overanalyzing it, without, um, you know, without turning it into like a TED talk. Right. About, Going like, into the historical yeah, context. Young of white women and their privilege. <laughs> yes, um, right. You just you just you do a good job of saying, like, I'm going to take responsibility for that. I'm going to name it. Who helped you write this book? You. All of the, my teachers, and for, I mean, I learned so much in the oh. YWCA Racial Justice Series and all that they offer. Um, I think Madison has, a, and nationally, there's tons of people that have helped me because it wasn't just in the writing of the book. It was learning about my whiteness and learning what it means and sexism and all of the intersectionalities. So a lot of people have helped. Um, I, I do think that the more that, white people can share without having it be a shame, blame, guilt thing, the more it'll make other white people who are still stuck in that because it is scary. It's terrifying, especially if you grew up being told whatever you were told, whatever mm. the messages you were, you don't want to go back to that, right? Like you're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not manly enough or whatever it is. So now all of a sudden you're not um, aware enough and uh, it's easier to, well, let's just not even talk about it. And if we can't talk about it, we can't change it. I, I've had lots of people be like, okay, so awareness, awareness, but where is the action? Also, when we go from awareness to action without proper analysis, that can be really harmful too. Mm. So let's all have some grace and be able to show up where it's challenging without so much harshness. Mm. Oh, I hope people are like, keep it. That's such a gem. Thank you for, mm -hmm. for sharing that with us. I thought when I asked you that question, I knew the answer to the question. So I'm like, <laughs> you really surprised me because I totally thought you were going to say, yo, man, hope oh, you Carlos? write this book. <laughs> I'm like, because he's a major, he's a major player in the book. Yeah, we, we talked I'm about like, Carlos. I, I mean, I fell super, I have fallen in love with him in a new way, both reading this book and then seeing him and talking to him about the book. Yeah. actually i was like hashtag bay he is team sarah every day all day he's like yes bay come write about you know i was like that's complicated she's writing about the country you are from mm. you know and what was that like and he was like she just do what she wants she wants you know <laughs> what baby wants baby gets she wants to write a book about mexico i'm gonna love that book what what has it been like for you two as a couple i do think that there's something really romantic about going back to the beginning and talking about where you were at in your lives and what it meant for you two to, to fall in love and how you two were so essential to one another's growth and to one another's, you know, um, yeah, to, you changed each other's lives. Yeah. And it's, it's what, was, what has that been like? So one of the things that I think is really important about where we were when we met each other is that we were so intentional about being whole beings and not needing another to to complete us. This whole concept of like, oh, you're my better half. Mm. Like we were whole and we were gonna be fine with or without each other. And that meant that we were choosing to be together because we were either growing and supportive of or literally just how can we enjoy this trip of a life with somebody who has that same mindset. Um, he's not a jealous guy. Um, he goes against a lot of, you know, your typical biases and stereotypes of the the Mexican macho. For me to spill out where I was at in terms of the sexual assaults, which were incredibly recent, 
when I met him. I was on a six-month celibacy goal. Like, that was my that was my mission. Can you be celibate for six months? Which is different than healing from. I mean, typically when you are healing from, if you don't, everyone has different healing journeys. So we don't need to go into that. But that's where I was at at that point. And for him to know intuitively or like at a heart level how to hold space for me like there's no one teaches you that right so like i i honestly don't know (laughs) (laughs) how he but like he created space that was that made me feel safe and i had no reason to feel safe and he created that and i trusted it i also was you know doing my own spiritual you know, journeying and connecting with God. And he was right there with me. So I think, um, well, and how long have you two been married? I'm surrounded by newlyweds at WORT. We talked about this last week. <laughs> Everybody has gotten married in like the last, those the, the people I listed, like half of them got married like last weekend. Um, how, how long have you two been together? 20, it'll be 23 years this August. So what's the yeah. what's the what's the key? What's the special ingredient to staying in love? Cuz I I will say I'm like I think you two are people who like I'm so ridiculously in love with my husband. I, I know. I'm like, it's just really and, dreamy. Yeah. And he's like, he is so team you. I just want to say there's some woman out there who Carlos had recently broken up with when he met this fun little Sarah. And he broke up with her because he was like, I don't want to get married. And then he married Sarah like 10 days later. Um, so I'm like, he is really team Sarah in in all the ways. Like what what makes I mean, honestly, how do you I do. all sustain that for 23 years? I, I think respect. We respect each other and we're super different. Like we are not the same. So we do most things and think differently even though we can see the world the same way so yes we have a lot in common but we're very different and I think the fact that we love that about each other and um honestly I don't mean that's like a whole hour conversation I don't I don't even know how to answer that quickly <laughs> like there is no secret sauce there's a lot there's a lot of different things um one of the things is that we choose each other we believe in divorce we're not in it just because we have to be in it and I think we choose each other every single day. And when you choose who you want to be with, it's exciting and it's fun. When and you, it's hard, too. I mean, there are definitely hard times. I'm not going to say, like, oh, it's so easy and he's he's not perfect. But he is quite dreamy. <laughs> I mean, the book is called Dreaming in Spanish. And I was like, he is putting the dreamy in this book. Um, <laughs> People ask me that a lot. They're like, is he as perfect as you make him be in the book? And I'm like, well, I mean... Yes, but like, well, and I think it's interesting because I'm like, it's that was one of the fun things about reading this book was remembering, you know, I just it's just different when you're in your 20s and you're like getting to know each other mm-hmm. and everything's like special. And then, you know, there's marriage. Um, yeah, but we we were thrown into it. Like yeah. I literally was struggling and he was being kind and supportive. And then all of a sudden I'm pregnant and then all of a sudden, I'm like, do we get married? Do we not get married? I'm doing all of the spoilers. And then all of a sudden, we're married. And so literally within one year, we're not in a relationship. We're parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're in a relationship. But it's not just about being married and newly in love. We're like trying to figure out how to keep a human being alive. And we had zero <laughs> clue. Like I had books, but I like had, didn't have time to read them. <laughs> so, like, oh, right. I mean, no, I, I, had, I didn't know anyone that had a baby. He knew more about babies. He was the one who was like, Sarah, you're pregnant. And I'm like, I am not. Don't tell me I'm pregnant. <laughs> He's like, I'm pretty sure you're pregnant. You're <laughs> seeming kind of pregnant. <laughs> he had seven sisters and like a ton of ne- nieces and nephews. So like he knew more than I did. Oh, man. Right? Did 24-year-old you go, go, hey, I can see myself with this person 23 years from now. I can see us living in Madison, Wisconsin, like I could, you know, did you did you have a sense of how it would turn out or was it more of like this leap of faith? Like, I hope I hope we can make it work. I definitely saw myself. I was like, he's the one I had sent a letter home to my parents before I found out I was pregnant, which I had to read a couple of times to make sure the time I was like, wait, I am marrying you because I thought you were the one before I found out I was pregnant. Right. Um, Yeah. No, I knew I had I knew that we had something incredibly special. I had no idea what our life was going to look like. And I didn't even try. Mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't know where. No, because a year earlier I was in a completely there was no way I could have 
seeing where I all of a sudden was. So there was absolutely no way I could see where I was going to be, which I think was part of the surrender piece to the book, right? Like, why do we keep trying to even figure out where we're going to be? Why can't we just allow and live and let life kind of unfold around yeah, you. let it be revealed. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. Happy Tuesday. Happy Pride, my friends. And we are talking with my dear friend, Sarah Alvarado, who wrote an incredible book about her life in Mexico. It's called Dreaming in Spanish. If you want to join the conversation, learn more about the book, what it took to write it, how people have responded to it. Give us a call at 608-256-2001 and then press 9 and we'll get you on the air for, for part of this conversation. And if you know Sarah, you're a fan of Sarah, you just want to show her a little love, we'd love to hear from you. Sarah, I have thought a lot about like what what it meant for you to to live in Mexico. And I think that that kind of, for me, when I was reading that the book, this, this comes to a head what you understand versus what you don't understand when your son is born um, and you're like not having the the birth experience you you thought you were going to have. Can you talk a little bit about what navigating Mexico meant to you and kind of like those big growth moments, those big moments of learning, like I am in a completely different culture. I am in a, there's there's different rules. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a lot in that question. And part of it was me really believing, I think, shout out to my parents for raising me to absolutely, at my deepest level, know that I could love anyone. It didn't matter their race, ethnicity, gender, language. Like, Is that a little bi pride? Am I hearing a little pansexual pride in that answer? A hundred percent. Okay, I'm like, we just, it's June. We got to let that rainbow flag yeah. fly. I mean, I, I, I was, am very bi. Like, what, when I went down there. At very the, bi. I I'm mean, like, Sarah, don't you flirt with me <laughs> on this radio right now. I am also very bi. I'm like, yes, say that. I love women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love Carlos. <laughs> You know, it's a range. Um, right. It is. It is. So it's people. It's humans. I love humans. I love people. I'm one of those people lovers. So I think because my mom was Jewish and my dad was raised Catholic and they broke a lot of their cultural norms. And I got to see that firsthand. They came from different financial um, situations or families. And I don't remember the question, really. The question was about, you know, like those moments. Yeah, the birth story. But those moments where you realized, whoa, this is really different. Like I'm in Mexico and this is really different. And my expectations are going to have to adjust. Right. Yeah. And I was very much there for the Mexican culture. I was not trying to bring my my I, I was in, I think, conflict with what it meant. But I didn't understand that I was in conflict with what my whiteness was right mm-hmm. so and Mexican pride is huge I was like what is this this is like because I, I you know I didn't have a lot of patriotic pride I mean to be quite honest with where things were at politically I was like uh, I, I, when I was traveling in Costa Rica and Nicaragua I told people I was from Canada <laughs> <laughs> it just it was I mean it's Wisconsin kind of same <laughs> <laughs> no but I'm, right. I'm from the northern areas <laughs> So I was there for that, and um, and I also <laughs> didn't have a, a very like oh I should have better you know like I I definitely was counterculture and questioned status quo in that way, uh, but I also did think that I belonged there, like yeah. I I walked the streets like I should be seen as a local if I decided I wanted to be seen as a local, mm. and those were the and, and I was also conflicted about being a woman and how I was approached and how I was seen. And sometimes I liked it and sometimes I didn't, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of contradictions. So I think part of that was also me not understanding like the, the systems and how I had an idea of what healthcare system was. I literally was pissed because there wasn't a brochure about pregnancies when I found out I was pregnant. I was like, I, I need a brochure. Like there were the brochures. (laughs) Like that was my norm, I right? I need an info packet. Yes. I, 
Somebody needs to break this down for me. Right. Uh, so those are the things where also in understanding why why don't people in Mexico have access to what I had access to? And why do I feel like this should be something I deserve? And wait, what about everybody else having the same kind of access um, and not understanding the difference, understanding the difference between the public and the private hospitals, but not totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that was pieced together little by little. And, and again, not fully until much later. Do you think about living in Mexico again? Did yes. did writing this book make you think that there's there's a homecoming in in that space and it meant being in Mexico in some ways defined the trajectory of your life. That's where you became a parent. That's where mm-hmm. you met the love of your life. Like I feel you- very much at home when we're in Mexico. And um, when we're in Puerto Vallarta specifically, I feel very much at home. And that's just a beautiful feeling. So anytime we're there, I, it's. Do you worry about like what that's like for your partner, for Carlos in like the way you can be kind of, you know, embraced and especially in the last, you know, I shouldn't say especially, but I think Donald Trump, you know, kind of famously said uh, that the Mexican people who are coming here are rapists or murderers. Um, there's the whole build a wall between the United States mm-hmm. and, and Mexico. I think in some ways your book blows that wall up. Um, do, do you feel like there's there's this inequity in you having access to his culture and feeling at home and him being here and there being this sentiment of resentment and hatred towards him and people like him. I wonder why he doesn't experience that as often as I think I would if I were him. I think I'm maybe a little bit more angry um, than he is in certain ways at this point. Um, He experiences what he experiences. I'm not going to tell his story, um, or I'm conscientious of not wanting to, even though I just wrote a book about it. (laughs) It's very clear, like, this is my... His nation of origin, but yes. It's my perspective, right? And so um, we both notice a lot, obviously. We notice a lot by living here. He chooses to live here. There has been many times where I'm like, should we move back? Should we move back? And he definitely chooses Madison. He loves Madison, and he feels at home in Madison, and he's created mm. community here. Well, that makes me proud of Madison a yeah, little. Yeah, a little, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Madison also has problems. Yes, and it does. he experiences all of that, too, especially in a incredibly white-dominated field. Like, in, And he has an accent. And um, so when he goes into listing appointments, you know, he doesn't always talk like, look like the people that he's representing. And... White people need to learn how to hire people that don't look like, talk like them. And Mm. that's um, a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, what can we do to help with the racial inequalities in real estate? Hire people who don't look like you. And um, that's one way too, right? Yeah. So I do notice a difference when he gets off a plane when we're in Mexico. He and I notice that and I wish that he had that here. Mm. Um, I don't think he has any resentment or feelings about how I am. His family loves me. I love his family. I think he just loves how much I love his family and his culture, right? And his language. No, I could tell when I talked to him about it. He was like, I've never even considered being annoyed with her for being privileged. (laughs) It's just, she's she's the best. Yeah. He, so that's how, that's how we are. Mm. If you could give that 24-year-old version of yourself advice, what would you say? What would you what would you say to her? Or in 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 writing this book, did you feel like you were in conversation with your younger self? I have a lot of empathy for my younger self and I think a lot of times we wish we could go back and say it's going to be okay. Um, but I did really believe it was going to be okay. I was focused on surrendering. Like that was like I just got it like, okay, God, like this is what we're doing, then this is what we're doing. I also, when I was reading or when I was writing it, I did have some angry moments of, you know, either my ignorance or ways that I didn't know what I didn't know and how I could have done things differently or things that I could have said in different moments. But also, 
I was really focused on just how grateful I was to have had the experiences I had to become the person I'm able to be today. And I couldn't have, I, I couldn't have done that without that. Mm. I, I so agree with that. I think there's these moments in your life that when they're happening, you're kind of like, oh, I wish that hadn't happened. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, in hindsight, you're like, but if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have gotten to these really important spaces. I wouldn't have gotten to these these moments of realization and clarity in my life. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. And we're talking with author Sarah Alvarado, who just wrote and released the book, Dreaming in Spanish. I want to talk a little bit about the name and the role of the Spanish language in this book, because you do write in both English and Spanish. And for some reason, for me, um, that allowed you to kind of teleport us into your world. Um, and, and you do it with a lot of fluidity. What did it mean for you to include Spanish in the book um, and to include Spanish in the title of the book, you know, to mm-hmm. really like make that a major indicator of what this book would look like. Yeah, I definitely had trepidations around being a white person writing about Mexico in a, in a language that's not my native language. And so I had to keep going back to this is your story that you're telling, you're not talking about um, because it can get construed differently, right? So for me, I think any t- anyone who plays around with language and different languages and learning different languages, there is a hundred percent acknowledgement that when you're dreaming in your not native language, you have reached a certain level of fluency. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my goals. I wanted, like, I had learned to read and write and speak Spanish in Minnesota, so I didn't sound very good. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> I, I wanted. I mean, it the to, accent comes out when you say the word <laughs> Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> like, right. yes. So being able to sound more fluent um, was a huge goal, and dreaming in Spanish was a goal. Like, uh, that's what I wanted. Do you still dream in Spanish? I don't. Mm. I could if I were there for a significant amount of time or if we're out with his family until late at night and then I go to sleep and I remember my dream, like there'll be Spanish in it. But I was dreaming in Spanish um, when we when we were there. And so I know it's possible. But we live here yeah. a majority of the time and we've raised our kids here. And thank goodness for Nuestro Mundo and the dual language immersion programs that Madison offers. Shout out to our local public schools. Get it, Sarah. That's you, true friend. You're a true friend. I love you forever. Also, hashtag, we love you, Nuestro Mundo. We love dual language immersion. Yes. Um, how have your kids responded? I think that was one of the funnest parts of, of talking to you about this book the first time I did it was that uh, w- one of your sons was in the audience um, and he asked you a question about like why you dressed them the way you dressed them. He was like, I'm looking back and yo, what was up with that? How, how has their response? They seemed, you're, you know, your kiddo seems so supportive of you as, as an author. Um, and so team mom. I know. What, what, what was their feedback about the book outside of them saying like, hey, you could have dressed us a little better. Um, <laughs> well, what, to be fair, the question was like, someone was asking a question about being a good parent or, or parenting well. And I was like, hold on, I'm not taking any sort of like A plus in parenting. It's really, really hard. And he was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, it didn't dress us very well. <laughs> yeah, Alex has been incredibly supportive. He's a believer in truth telling and um, authenticity and being vulnerable. And so I'm just incredibly grateful for his support. The younger one hasn't read it don't know if he will read it. He does definitely doesn't need to read it mm. um, at this point if he doesn't want to, right? So I think that's one of the beautiful things about this is my piece of art. This is part of what I'm doing for me. And that's what family is about. They don't, you know, like Carlos hasn't even read the book. I read it to him, but he hasn't read it. <laughs> I think about like how well your kids know you. My my oldest child actually was just saying to me, like, I know you better than the other kids because I met you first. So I'm your favorite. Um, and I and and I was like, well, yeah, you like you definitely do know me really well as a mom, as your mom. But, you know, there's things like you don't know about me. And she was like, like what? You know, when when your kiddos have have when when Alex read this, was he like, "Wow, I see you differently. I know things about you I didn't know about you." 
We haven't really talked in depth about it. I'm, mm. I mean, he, he can talk to me about it whenever he wants. It's on his terms. Uh, I don't need anything from him around that. And I think he knows that. So he yeah. read it. He appreciated it. He liked it. He gave me good feedback. And that's that's the extent of it. Mm. Are there things that you hope people get out of this book? You've talked a little bit with me about like, well, it's interesting what resonates with people, what the highlights are, because it is, there's a lot there and different things stand out. The times that I have gone back and forth, depending on what's going on in my own life or the lens that you've asked me to look at it through, Mm -hmm. I've really seen it in different ways. Um, Are there things you think people miss about the book? Are there things you really want people to get out of this book? I believe that the right people will read it and get exactly what they need to get out of it. I mean, I have been touched by so many different books. So many different books have been life-changing, and I've gotten things from it that I can't imagine the author was like, oh, I hope this person gets this. You know, like, maybe that's true. But for me, um, if there is something that resonates and that's what they're meant to connect with, then I've done a good job. Um, Anne Lamott changed my life and helped me through her book, Operating Instructions. And if my book can do that for somebody, um, then let's just keep passing it on. I do think it's really important to be able to address topics that we aren't always given space to address. I want to ask, like, what's the harshest criticism of this book that you've gotten? And what is the most, like, loving feedback around this book that you've gotten? I haven't gotten a lot of harsh criticism as of yet it's only been out for a couple of months so i think if mostly my friends and family are reading it they're gonna be really nice to me uh, there's a little there's some self-helpy stuff in it so if someone's not into self-helpy um and it's maybe too gaudy for other people but no not a lot of not a lot of criticism and the women that have reached out that have seen themselves in my story and felt like they're not alone and that they have a way to be a woman, a wife, and a parent with any sort of traumas that they've experienced and be able to be sexy and confident and whole, that that is one of the best things. Mm, I completely agree with that. Thank you for bringing your radiant, amazing self to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is A Public Affair. Our guest today was Sarah Alvarado, who we love so much. And her book is called Dreaming in Spanish. Please make sure to check it out. You can find it all over town. (laughs) Thank you. Don't take no prisoners if you can't afford to feed none. Don't start no fights if you cannot predict the outcome. Don't make donations where you cannot get your dough back. The apathetic bullshit to send them all your Prozac.